You're listening to the Big Finish Podcast, release date the 4th of July, 2021. A tall man with a mane of white hair sprawled languorously back in his seat, scrolling through an oval screen of data. Unlike Sarah, he had retained his usual clothes, though there was little that was usual about his black cape lined with lilac, red smoking jacket and ruffled shirt. The doctor had at least consented to wear a visitor badge too. Welcome to another bumper Big Finish podcast. It's a bumper, you know, yes. Hi there, I'm Benji Clifford (laughs) and he's Nick Briggs. Hi there. Uh, Coming up very soon, it's a hi there joke. I don't know whether anyone remembers that. Hi there. We, we don't you hate podcasts that have just in jokes all the way through them? They should be banned, shouldn't they? We review the latest reviews of Masterful, that wonderful masterfest created by the boundless imagine boundless imagination of James Goss and starring Michelle Gomez, Derek Jacobi, Eric Roberts, John Sim, Alex McQueen, Mark Gatiss, and Jeffrey Beavers, amongst others. You may have wondered why I called you here today. God, then we go behind the scenes with our big finish original Cicero. The Crossroads and uh, it's an interesting fusion of Roman history and mid-1970s soap opera uh, right there I nearly said so- uh, I went to say soap but it sounded like I said sofa it's a sofa, sofa opera, opera. Uh, only kidding uh, it's another drama-packed exploration of ancient Roman shenanigans and intrigue The Crossroads came about I think because Big Finish had obviously done their season of Big Finish originals <gasps> It's a rather unsuccessful attempt by me at writing a joke about the Crossroads, <laughs> the soap opera. Sorry, Crossy, sorry. It's, Crossy. It's not, Benny it's from Crossroads. <laughs> Miss Diane, I've got to go to the... Um, I couldn't think of a Roman location there. <laughs> the uh, Forum. There we the go. Forum. <laughs> Miss Diane, I have to go. Shut up, Briggs. It wasn't funny. Why did you try? Uh, <laughs> anyway, moving swiftly on from that, it's that, it's nothing to do with Crossroads, all right? It's, it's a proper brilliant drama about Rome uh, then it'll be time for listeners emails sent to podcast at bigfinish.com following that we'll give you a rather nice drama tease of the aforementioned Cicero The Crossroads starring Samuel Barnett and George Naylor I have commanded armies conquered territories fought in battle yet I find myself at something of a, a oh, what's the word I'm looking for Crossroads that's the one. Oh. Nice chaps, actually. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. I saw oh, George yes. Naylor not very long ago, actually. Very nice fellow. Um, you'll be relieved to hear that the Randomoid Selectron will be along next to offer you a 24% I can't read numbers. 25% discount on a random... That's my, what my accountant says, anyway. On a randomly selected Big Finish release. I was surprised by the number of monks on the road. And just in case you were wondering where the Cyberman part of this podcast title fits in, well, we'll round things off with a 15-minute drama of Doctor Who Scourge of the Cybermen, an audio novel masterfully performed by the brilliant John Coleshaw with top-notch sound design and music by Steve Foxen. The third Doctor and Sarah Jane battle the evil cyborgs from Telos like it's 1974 all over again. Sarah, it's essential to do this right. A whole alien sea to clean up. In doing so, we produce a vast amount of entirely clean energy. If they can make that work here, it's a template for operations all across the galaxy. So, Benji, um, after uh, last week's fascinating uh, chat about hyphenation... uh, Hyphen. um, Perhaps we could talk about ligatures. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm not even sure I know what ligatures are. A li- isn't it a ligature? So I, when I think of ligature, isn't there something in surgery called ligature? Yeah, but uh, I'm talking about in documents. In documents, yes. A thing used for tying or binding something tightly, yeah. that's Or a slur or tie. He ligatured the duodenum of the pleurus. In writing, including fiction writing, writing in typography, a ligature is two or more graphemes that are joined to make a single glyph. In other words, a ligature is a single character that is created by joining multiple characters. Like wow. demons, I suppose. What's a glyph, though? <laughs> well, now it's a glyph. I'll tell you what a glyph is. A glyph yes. is a um, is a four terabyte, no, sorry, a seven terabyte hard drive that I bought, which had a guarantee of a long time for an extortion amount of money from a company called Glyph, which broke after two years, two days after the warranty. That's wow. what a Glyph is. It's oh, now it's also an, an, a tip oh, oh. after a sledgehammer hit it. <laughs> you were holding the sledgehammer, I presume. Yes, quite. Uh, it's uh, also an ornamental vertical groove, especially in a Doric frieze. It's a symbolic figure or a character, usually incised or carved in relief. It's a symbol, such as a curved arrow on a road sign, that conveys conveys information non-verbally. Oh, well, okay. A glyph there is various glyphs representing a lowercase a. Allographs of the grapheme. Yeah, what's a grapheme? A grapheme. A grapheme is the smallest functional unit of a writing system. But Nick, what is a writing system? <laughs> a ri- have you ever have you ever played the game, um, the Wikipedia game? What's that? So you have to. So for example, if I go from writing system here, right? You say yeah. right. You have to get to somewhere from this page in a, right. as quickly as possible. So we'll say I'm on the page writing system, and I've got to get to Dalek. Okay, wow. so I'll see how quickly wow. I can get there now. So if I'm on there, right, Dalek, um, uh, medium, we'll go into medium, medium yeah. uh, is the digital media advertising, broadcasting, broadcasting, Ooh. going down from broadcasting, uh, telecommunications, no, oh, no, no, go back from telecommunications, over the air broadcasting, uh, over the air BBC. I'm looking, yeah, BBC, we've got to find BBC. Uh, BBC, 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 BBC BBC One, BBC Two, BBC Three, BBC Four, BBC Five, BBC Six, BBC Seven, BBC Heaven, wireless, firmware, smartphones, mobile devices, Wi-Fi, mobile devices. We could be here for some time, folks. We could be here for some time. We're going to get to the end of this. Don't worry. (laughs) We're going to get to the end of this. Uh, iPlayer, maybe BBC. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That'll do it. Uh, Article from BBC News. Um, oh, this is going to take forever. This is pointless, isn't it? Really, I realised that if it's I was doing this, idea. if I was How doing m- this in my own time, I could do it. But um, if you had a day spare, right, this is a podcast where people want to listen about Big Finish, and probably not me on the page of um, Zigbee. Zigbee. But it's an interesting game, and I think it's probably inspired people to try it at home. Isn't yeah. that right, listeners? Yeah, basically, it means that I can't get to Dalek from wireless from writing system and um, I probably Fair could enough. if I just had the time let's but move time on to is the next graphene yeah. <laughs> yes this is the this is the uh, graphene based uh, system where we just go word for word and what does that mean eventually get into and what does life mean well life is a sort of journey it's a, 
is a good audio drama. That's what it means. Well, I'll tell you what we could talk about. Mm. And that's the latest reviews. Oh, and this week, as promised, masterful. I presume you summoned me. To a ruined castle on a desolate rock? Uh, hardly my style. From Big Finish Productions. You may have wondered why I called you here today. To a ruined castle carved from obsidian, decorated with black marble, black drapes, one senses a theme. It's because one of you in this room is a murderer. And it's me! <laughs> Masterful. Ah, my dear master, 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 and master. This is a very great and, may I say, unexpected pleasure. We've never done this before. Got together, had a chinwag, swapped evil schemes. Yes, and knees up. And it's not just to cheer up, you sad sops. No, it's to gloat. Why? Lean in. No, lean closer. The doctor is dead. But I'm going to fight back, and I won't ever give up. Look your master in the eye. The thing is, someone, naming no names, but hint, hint, gloaty McGloatface over there, forgot to invite me. So, I am gate crashing. You're a beautiful woman, improbably. I'm the master, and you will obey me. Your cute little frowny frowns, the seven dwarfs, schemey, 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 and crispy. That's you, barbecue. Look out there. Planet may not be much, but the sunsets to die for. All those stars, mine. All the planets spinning around them, mine too. All creation bows down and worships me. I am finally the master. The universe hangs in the balance. Boom. Pure raging evil. I've come from another dimension. The stars are going out in my universe and the threat comes from this one. Miss Grant, listen, listen, listen. We're all the master. We're all the master. <laughs> <laughs> Big finish. We love stories. My name is Kitty. Pleased to meet you, Kitty. I'm pausing, waiting to hear yours. It is... Uh, uh, I, I am generally referred to as the... Yes? Would you believe Jeremy? And all you have to do is go to bigfinish.com and type masterful into the search pane at the top and you'll get your just desserts. Oh, trifle? Oh, maybe. First up, uh, bigbluepodcast.co.uk, Mark Donaldson says, this is possibly one of the best master stories we've ever had. For all the big names, cameos, desolate planets and universe-ending portent, uh, this is uh, fundamentally a character study. What's a character study? Let's have a look. <laughs> Uh, it's a story that uh, interrogates what the master is actually capable of. It's also really, really funny and uh, arch and a wee bit sexy. Oh, <gasps> blimey, matron. Uh, whatculture.com, Tom Housen. Tom Housen is writing for whatculture.com. Mm, we normally what read culture? out Tom Housen's tweets, don't we? This is certainly an epic Doctor Who story which any fan will be blown away by. Packed full of cameos. Ah! And references, map references. This is exactly how to celebrate such an iconic character. 
On SciFiBulletin.com's Paul Simpson says, A suitably epic tale to mark one of the most important characters in the show's history. And that's a 9 out of 10. Yeah, yeah. Mm, that was good. HoganReviews.co.uk. Oh, Hogan's reviewing something. Yeah. Brother. It's, well, this is his younger brother, David. David oh, Hogan. Oh, nice. Uh, thanks to the... Fla- I don't believe he really is his younger brother just in case David is insulted by that. Thanks to the plethora of great actors who have played the role, it was a genuine treat from start to finish and more than lives up to its title. How many stars is that? I can't quite read it. Is that five? Five stars with a speech mark at the end. That's that's what's well, confusing. Because it's the quoting yeah, review. Yeah, yeah. Well, Coldbox.co.uk's Ian McArdle says uh, James Goss's story provides ample opportunity for the different masters to interact and plenty of memorable moments. Masterful is dizzying stuff with plenty of potential for multiple re-listens. Ah, you're making me giddy. Um, oh in- no. <laughs> Intimacuser.co.uk Jacob Licklider says overall. Mrs. Overall, uh, Masterful is a brilliant way to start off. Start off. <coughs> excuse me, just clearing my throat. Start off 2021 celebrating who the master is and what it means to be evil. Nine out of ten. Oh, well, I, I give that review nine out of ten as well. Digitalfix.com says, uh, La- well, Latchland Haycock says, not digital doc- digitalfix.com. I'm just talking now. What's uh, most <laughs> rewarding talking, is listening talking, to no these notice. fantastic characters play off one another. It's Beavers, Gomez, and Sim who have the meatiest material to work it's with. It's Beavers, Gomez, and Sim, and they're heading towards uh, the finish line now. And it's a goal there for Jeffrey Beavers for interesting new aspects to his character. Uh, Gomez behind there with Missy's interaction with Joe and how that links to her personal arc. And then Sim coming right from behind for being one at the centre of everything. There we go. Back to the studio. Uh, thanks very much there, Lachlan. Uh, Wartfactor.com, Matthew Kressel, or Kressel, says, It's an epic in every sense of the word, epic. showcasing not just the various versions of one of the Doctor's greatest villains, but so many of those who brought the Doctor's nemesis to life over the last five decades. Well, whoreview.com Daniel Mansfield says, Come for the multi-master thrill ride of Masterful. Stay for the exceptionally good I Am the Master and Terror of the Master. This is an extremely strong collection of stories charting the Master's journey from the suave, debonair Roger Delgado to the crazy and hilarious Michelle Gomez and beyond. Highly recommended, and that's a four-star there. I'll give it five. Yeah, it sounds like a five-star review. I think there's a mistake there. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's just... Yes, know. and of course, in all this, I am the master and Terror the master. Yeah. Are you really? Not, not to be uh, <laughs> not to be forgotten. I am the master, I think, is by Simon Gurria, and Terror the master is by Trevor Baxendale. Brilliant work there, as well as uh, James Goss's fantastic masterful itself. On Twitter, Andrew on Sea Air... Uh, says, I love Big Finish's masterful, dark and funny at times, seeing all the different incarnations come together for their 50th anniversary. And Trevor Baxendale's third, oh, I was right, third Doctor audiobook narrated by John Coleshaw couldn't be impressed enough. Here's to the master. Hashtag Doctor Who. Ricky Orr uh, on Twitter says... Ricky Orr what? Or, or who, yes. That's what they do on, on the train here. If you go towards Hastings, the next stop on from Hastings is Orr. And whenever the train thing says, calling out Hastings and Orr, everybody goes, or what? Somebody always says it. Or what? Uh, he says, so masterful is deliciously evil, devilishly camp, dastardly daring and, other de- and rather delightful. Adored every second of that. Wow, brilliant. 
Um, uh, Eddie from TDTV. Hmm, I wonder what that stands for. The uh, Donuts, so, the Vervoids. There we go. Th- that's exactly what it stands for. So, at Big Finish Masterful is brilliant fun. Gomez and Sim are having a ball, as always. With two T's. So, <laughs> I'll have two T's, said. love. Um, with two T's. <laughs> uh, just finished listening to Masterful by Big Finish, and it was phenomenal. The cast were all so gloriously wicked. And it was great seeing how each master actively tried to make the other's life worse. Yeah, this is less of a team-up and more of an all-out brawl. And I love it. Oh, nice. That's it for this week. More reviews next time. And when we'll be talking about Torchwood Coffee. Milk and two sugars for me. Coming up soon, listeners' emails, but first let's delve behind the scenes with director and co-producer Scott Hancock as he takes us on a journey back in time with Cicero, The Crossroads. Hello, my name is Scott Hancock and I am the director and co-producer of Cicero, The Crossroads. The Crossroads picks up a couple of decades after the previous Cicero series, so everyone's a little bit older and wiser. We've got all the familiar faces in there, and quite a few new ones and it's just been really interesting positioning Cicero at a different point in Rome's you know long and uh, difficult history. I wish to speak with Gaius Julius Caesar would you be so kind as to take me to him? Depends who's asking. Marcus Tullius Cicero former consul of Rome vanquisher of Catiline savior of the Republic statesman lawyer and orator and he's expecting me. The Crossroads came about, I think, because Big Finish had obviously done their season of Big Finish Originals, and earlier in the year, 2020, the final instalment of that came out, The Human Frontier. I saw that that had been recommissioned very quickly, and and just thought, oh, well, if um, we're reopening commissioning again, I'll ask the question. And actually, I think someone had written into the Big Finish magazine Vortex and said, will there ever be more? And, And... Nick said something to the effect, Nick Briggs, our executive producer, uh, said something to the effect of, well, the door's always open if Scott wants to come a-knocking. So I did. I asked the question, and uh, Jason was keen on the idea of doing almost a feature-length one-off. So I spoke to David Llewellyn and asked if he was interested, and he absolutely was. So that's how we arrived, literally, at the crossroads. I have commanded armies, conquered territories, fought in battle... Yet I find myself at something of a... a, a, What's the word I'm looking for? Crossroads? That's the one. I find myself at a crossroads. But this isn't Fortune's doing. It's entirely my own fault. I'm Samuel Barnett, and I play Cicero. What's this? Rome's angry young men, I imagine. In the absence of mass uprisings, you get all sorts whipping the masses into a frenzy. Mostly harmless. Should we make ourselves scarce? No, not at all. This isn't the crossroads of old. When I first read the script for this particular drama about Cicero, it struck me he's changed a lot. He's not the one who works things out. He seems far less, in a way, of a strategist in this particular drama and a bit more reactionary. Reactive, I should say, um, to events. That's the word I'm looking for. He seems more reactive to events than actually um, shaping them. He's got more people around him who do a lot of the kind of scheming and the working out of things. And in a way, you think that's how it should be. It's, it's 
you know, younger men and women who are who are driving things in this rather than Cicero driving them. He's perhaps gotten a bit older, he's perhaps gotten a bit more frightened, a bit more aware of his own mortality. And he seems certainly softer round the edges, which has been which has been nice to play. My name is George Naylor and I play Quintus. Metellus dies and suddenly Caesar and Claudius Claudius whatever us are best friends. You think perhaps Metellus didn't die of natural causes. And perhaps that's why Caesar gave Clodius his consent. It didn't have anything to do with my speech. I'm not saying that, and I'm not letting you off that easily. Calling Caesar and Crassus wolves to their faces, the hubris. I'm only amazed. It doesn't matter. But knowing the rumors about Claudia and her brother, let's just say I wouldn't put it past them. I think there is definitely a sibling chemistry going on. Although, I think the great thing about Sam is that even though he's a little bit older than me, not by much, not by much, but what I'm saying is that I think it's easy for an older actor to be either doting or quite patronising to a younger actor. And there's none of that. There's no ego. There's no, you know, everybody's so patient. You know, I'm very much aware that I'm still within the first five years of my career. So everything's still a learning experience for me and Sam and Scott have just been so patient with their time and I love them dearly I really do there is a sibling kind of thing going on I think George and I playing brothers we just get on we did from day one I remember back in 2016 when we met and we read together and there's just chemistry and you can't no I don't think there's a knack to creating that kind of sibling chemistry or or best friend chemistry whatever it is you you have it or you don't and I think that's down to casting and obviously that's not up to an actor with this stuff you know we're not auditioning and being and reading together in a room before we get the job so Scott has to put people together that he thinks would work well and and George and I have and it was so so nice to see George and you know we've kept in touch anyway but to actually see him in the flesh and then work with him again it's not like you forget but it comes back as such a lovely thing when you work with someone again who you've worked with before and you work with them well there's something terribly comfortable about it which gives you an awful lot of confidence as an actor because what you need when you're an actor, ultimately, I think, is to feel as safe as possible so that you can be as vulnerable as possible or you can have as much fun as possible. And um, with George, that's exactly how I feel. And if you want to get your ears wrapped round this release, just go to bigfinish.com and type Crossroads into the search pane at the top. And we'll be teasing you with the opening scenes of Cicero the Crossroads right after this listeners' emails. Well, you don't have to stand at the crossroads to receive an email. Because emails don't travel by the road, I suppose, is the oh, true answer to this question, isn't it, really? They don't... They don't. Well, I suppose they do, technically. No, letters do. As you can tell, uh, I am no uh, knowledgeable factor in this. Um, but if you want to send us an email... <laughs> that was a very strange sentence. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, if you want to send us an email, it's so simple. Just send to podcast at bigfinish.com. First up, this one here from Nick Milton. Uh, sent on the 30th of June. The subject of this one is Jago and Lightfoot series 14. Uh, so, have to ask, uh, citizen of Nottingham that I am, and knowing Nick is very au fair with uh, this city... Yes, yes, I've, is... I've um, been, you know, I used to do a lot of work at the theatre there. That's what that's a reference to. Good old knots. Uh, is that Wallerton Hall on the cover of the new Jago and Lightfoot audiobook? 
Um, I don't know is the answer to that one. And to take the meta one step further, does that mean that Wayne Manor is now part of the Hooniverse? Corks! Uh, <laughs> there was I, still getting over how Mark Gatiss tied in his Lucifer Box novels into the Hooniverse in his novelization of The Crimson Horror, um... and now this! Daleks potentially appearing in Blake 7 back in the day. Pa! How old school is that? Uh, lots of love and waiting for the day uh, a future Who audio explains how the TARDIS appeared in Red Dwarf's cargo bay in the episode Demons and Angels. Yeah. From Nick Milton there. Yeah, well, that was obviously because the special effects people just snuck it in. Um, uh, mm, yes. So, obviously, uh, Wayne Manor must be part of the Hooniverse. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> Batman. Uh, Nathan Batman. Smith says... Cunic and Benji. Nice one, Nathan. Hey. In this uh, email entitled, It's an Alien. I hope you fine fellows are doing well and keeping safe. I was thinking about aliens today, because who doesn't do that, right? And got to wondering. I'm assuming both of you believe life is out there and that there is life other than what that what is on Earth interesting phraseology in the universe so i was wondering do either of you believe in ufos do you think we've been visited or could be visited secondly and more big finish related to both of you who is your favorite master and why thanks a lot and keep safe nathan uh, p.s they're vaccinating people that have been arrested by the jadoon <laughs> now aren't i lucky <laughs> has, has nathan been arrested by a jadoon then well, I assume so. I mean, the you know the Jadoon are uh, they're pretty good. They're pretty efficient, aren't they? Cool, Um. So yeah. Oh, what? Are, how, where do you stand on the whole life out there and UFOs and stuff like that? I don't think we've ever spoken about this, have we, Benji? I believe that every drop of rain that falls, a flower grows. <laughs> um, no, uh, I I do believe that there there is life out there in the the universe you know just I, I just don't believe that it's just endless space of not a lot going on there must be something how intelligent the life is i don't know um it's one of those things have we been visited it's you know it's again i think it, there are a lot of secrets on this this earth i think there are a lot of organizations and governments that oh, you hold heard. conspiracy secrets but theories. i don't know i mean i've not seen any anything to to make myself personally think that person was a, i've met some very strange people but i've never thought that's a ufo uh, that's an alien man i don't believe that they walk among us you can you know some people say is it david ike who says you know uh that the queen's a reptile and there are half alien people and all that i don't necessarily believe that um, you don't necessarily believe it I don't, well i don't i believe that there are i believe that, that sounds like are, you sort of believe it well, i believe that aliens potentially might have landed on this uh, like roswell for example you know with that whole thing like the crashed alien i think that's that's not outside the realms of possibility ah, um okay, yeah. but you know i don't know i'd i'd like to think that there's life out there but equally um i i certainly hope that whatever happens that life doesn't visit us mainly because we're so awful we'd probably just try and blow it up you know we, we'll, we're a negative well, force they might man. be awful as well i mean you know the record on earth of, of different cultures interacting with each other the first time is is as many people have noted before quite poor you know the more technologically advanced culture that sees itself as more superior and is pretty unkind to what they see as an inferior culture, which, of course, isn't actually the case. Um, my view is actually that I just don't know. 
I don't feel I've ever really looked into it enough to know what all the... I mean, but I, in, in my life, in my work, I write about aliens and stuff all the time. So I, I think I have a baseline assumption that they're true, that they're real. Not the ones I write about, but that the universe is inhabited by other life forms. But I... I I, I just uh, at the bottom line is I don't know and I also don't know whether uh, they visited us or are on earth or anything like that because I have no evidence I mean again I you know I, I think I find it fun to think about that and think it might be true but I've not had any experience of of anything I mean I think I once thought I saw a UFO but I'm, I think it was probably wishful thinking because <laughs> well, it's, it's exciting know, isn't it it is exciting thought I mean one of the things I love is, um, do you remember back in the 70s on uh, ITV, uh, one of the signals was interrupted in one of the programmes mm. and a voice was heard, an echoey voice through the, um, the radio waves of this guy who said, uh, I am Commander Vrillen from the Ashtar Galactic Federation <laughs> of Planets. No, I don't remember this uh, at all. It's, it's, yeah, it was happening in the 70s and it was this voice that said, you know, we have been watching you for some time and want you to mend your ways. Yeah, who was it really, though? Um, I expect it was just students messing around, but this idea, you know, there's that there's a force out there that's saying, you know, you need to stop fighting each other but before we can introduce you to the other planets. Yes. That's I mean, all, all of these ideas are externalising things that we should find within ourselves, aren't they? So, you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, oh, absolutely, and... I don't know. It's one of those things. Is I want to believe. I want to believe. I, I can't see when I think of my mind. I can't. I can't think that we're the only. Given how technologically advanced our society is, and as organisms, how uh, you know the fluke of existence is. It seems crazy to think there's nothing else at all out there. Well, I mean, it's certainly quite a lonely thought, isn't it? I mean, it yeah, I must have told you this before, and I can't remember whether I've said it on this podcast before. Uh, when the first pulsar was discovered, uh, the scientists involved thought for a moment that it was a regular and non-natural phenomenon, and they thought it could possibly be a signal from a, another intelligent species a long way off in space. And there was a moment when they thought, should we just not tell anyone? Because they had real fears about if it is, you know, it could cause a terrible fuss or, that, you know... If we try to contact them, it could be the end of the human race and all that sort of thing. And then they realised it was a natural phenomenon and something going around a star or something that makes it pulse or, or, or what have you. But do you see what I mean? Even back there, I think this was like in the 50s or something. There's moral standing prop, there. Yeah, proper scientists were actually, when they were confronted with for what seemed like for a short amount of time, really good evidence of the existence of extraterrestrial life they were a bit sort of ooh is this a good idea <laughs> yeah you know, this you know, is it and there is that thing isn't there I mean I, I, you know either uh, there are two extreme possibilities aren't there either alien life would be more intelligent than us and would be pretty unimpressed by us or they'd be somehow they'd have I mean all our systems of morality and what have you that's evolved over centuries of complex thinking some of which may be completely in inverted commas wrong and so other people may come from another planet with a frighteningly different set of values it's bad enough the clash of values between different nationalities 
Let on alone Earth. different I mean, planets. It's just and... terrifying. I've often thought of writing a you know proper sci-fi novel or whatever about it, and then it just frightens me so much. I'm too scared. <laughs> to it, is, it. it is scary, though. It is. It's the the you know the the fear of the unknown is frightening, and the idea that you know we believe that that we've got it cracked in terms of the way that our society is and our ideals and our values to an extent you know yeah, i suppose we think or rather that. one one believes they have it cracked personally you know you think i this is what i believe and this is what i think is the right thing to be and do but to have that you know from a completely different perspective a different planet with different history different rules values thoughts there's no right or wrong is there or is there? Well, Paul Benson writes in next. Um, Paul Benson of the great pop group, The Bensons. Um, subject to this one is any uh, an idea and thank you. Oh. Um, Nick and Benji, I'm writing to you whilst listening to your podcast. Oh, good. Uh, so Derek Jacobi and Kay Arga are talking about your new production of The Box of Delights. Oh. And it struck me that there are so many people I know who were the door listening to it. Yes. The dustman, the postman. Uh, <laughs> the batman, the robin. The, the batman, the batsman. Um, it then struck me, please tell me to stop, to, please tell it to stop striking me, it's not nice and I bruise easily, <laughs> that not many of those people would be inclined to seek out a big finished production by themselves. No, no. Also, most of my friends have abandoned physical CDs entirely in favour of downloads. Many people have. Uh, I think it could be well worth your while to look at ways of letting your regular customers buy Big Finish stories for their friends. For example, uh, I will definitely buy the Box of Delights through your website for myself. Uh, if I could then, perhaps for a tiny discount, buy a second one that I could somehow mark as a gift, then enter a friend's email address on the checkout, uh, the website could automatically email them with a link to download their own copy of the story. Well, it sounds awfully optimistic of the website there. Um, I have my own agenda here. Uh, I'm terrible at remembering to buy presents in time for Christmas post and just buying things that instantaneously appear in my friends' inboxes would lower my stress levels considerably. But it could also be a way to... A, make it easy for your current customers to spend more money on your website, and B, give you access to potential new customers who would enjoy your stories but may not know you exist yet. I know that you looked at gift cards before now, but receiving a specific story feels far more personal and thoughtful to me than mm. getting a gift certificate, which is just like getting a, a kind of less versatile kind of money. Yeah. Uh, my Thanks money for, is less versatile than yours. It's less, uh, yes, this money can only get me a book from WH Smith's. Um, but thanks for all the work you do. Uh, Big Finish Productions are of unfailingly high quality and always a pleasure to listen to. All the best, Paul Benson of the Bensons. Oh, thank you, Paul Benson of the Bensons. That's a really nice email, and it's really intelligent. And you're absolutely right. That would be fantastic. I'm just going to be really honest here, which will just upset so many of my colleagues. You know... This is this kind of thing is on a long list of things that need to be done to the website, but because of the, the way our website was originally created, this iteration of it, and then recreated, still based on the original way, it, it's it's so hamstrung in its processes that it's so difficult to make uh, these adjustments, which on you know off the shelf software you could just buy um, would be so much easier. 
you just buy a plug-in to fit and our site doesn't work like that everything has to be handcrafted out of clay and straw to make it uh, work I'm exaggerating so yeah yeah I mean Paul it's a brilliant idea and I would do it tomorrow um, but nothing happens tomorrow in terms of our website despite all the really hard efforts of all those involved who do brilliant work and are lovely people so there you are interesting answer or not you decide uh, that's it for this week more emails next time We'll be dramatising you with Scourge of the Cybermen oh, at the end of this podcast. Yes. But now it's time to tease you with the beginning of Cicero, The Crossroads by David Llewellyn and starring Samuel Barnett and George Naylor. And please be warned that this extract contains two instances of moderate swearing. It was the year of the consuls Metellus and Afranius, the year Julius Caesar returned from Spain. On his arrival, he established himself on the Campus Martius, once an empty field beyond the city gates, now practically a city in its own right. He returned to Rome with the intention of running for consul, but could not enter the city as a soldier, and so could not declare his candidacy. His invitation to meet outside the city walls was a surprise, but one far too intriguing to refuse. It had been many years since we last met, and I wondered if I would find him the same flamboyant young man I'd known before. Halt! I wish to speak with Gaius Julius Caesar. Would you be so kind as to take me to him? Depends who's asking. Marcus Tullius Cicero, former consul of Rome, vanquisher of Catiline, saviour of the Republic, statesman, lawyer and orator. And he's expecting me. Here. Very well. You armed? Do I look as if I'm armed? Follow me. Sir, you have a visitor. He says he was a Marcus, you old bastard. Salve. Uh, Salvetti, Gaius. They embrace me. Uh, <laughs> You're going bald. Uh, so I've been told. Uh, that'll be all, Centurion. Yes, sir. Oh, sit down, sit down. Did you walk all this way? I did. Hmm. Wine? Not at this hour, oh. but thank you. Very well. So... You're probably wondering why I sent for you. Yes. Well, you know I'm running for consul. I heard, but there really isn't enough time for me to talk to the Senate, persuade them to let you apply via a proxy while... Well, that's not why I sent for you. In a few hours, I'll be entering Rome as a civilian. What about your triumph? Oh, sod the triumph. I want to be consul. And you'd like my support? Well, obviously. But... 
I also have an offer for you. Uh, if it's a post in some far-off place. Well, uh, as grateful as I am, I've only recently bought a house on the Palatine and... The Palatine? Oh, the views are incredible. It looks out over the whole city and in the evenings... Is that Crassus's old place? Yes. <laughs> what a coincidence! I don't follow. Oh. <clears throat> We're forming an alliance. Crassus, Pompey and I. Does Pompey know about this? <laughs> of course! It was partly his idea. What sort of alliance? One of mutual beneficence. Pompey wants farmland for his veterans and the ratification of his conquests in the East. He thinks Rome's looking a little shabby and could do with some grand temples, theatres and so on. You know Pompey. He's all about the grand gestures. As for me, I'd like some nice pro-consul posts in Cisalpine Gaul and Illyricum. And Crassus wants to conquer Parthia. Between us, Pompey has the fame, Crassus has the money, and I have the military might. What we're missing is rhetoric. You want me to join you? Of course! Everything we want must be voted for. We need someone with the power of persuasion. With you arguing our case, we'd be unstoppable. You say that as if it's a good thing. You think it's not? The precedent it would set. The harm it could do the Republic. But we are doing this for the Republic. This pendulum of power, one faction succeeded by the other, serves nobody in the long term. Rome takes one step forward and two steps back. No wonder she looks shabby when even the simplest decisions aren't made. Uh, and you truly believe four of us, with all our differences, would bring an end to that? I do. Then, with gratitude and all respect, I must decline. Do give it some thought, Marcus. I know you're wary of change, but this could be your legacy. You saved the Republic from Catiline, and now you could ensure its stability long after we've left this life. A republic that lasts a thousand years or more. It's what Plato dreamt of. In his worst nightmares, perhaps. <laughs> That's the Cicero I remember. But do think on it. I'll pass on your regards to Pompey and Crassus. Pompey remains very fond of you. Crassus, well, I hardly know what he thinks about anything. Perhaps I shall see you at the forum. Perhaps. Goodbye, guys. Goodbye, Marcus. Well, just go to bigfinish.com and type crossroads into the search pane at the top uh, to catch up with this one. Or just type Cicero, that's C-I-C-E-R-O, to find out all about this great series. Uh, right, Marcus so Tullius Cicero. Marcus Tullius Cicero. Uh, oh, dear, my neck. Uh, it's time now, of course, for... The Randomoid Selectatron. I don't know why I said it like that. Where we give you a 25% discount on a randomly selected Big Finish release. Okay, let's Well, Ran has spoken here. It's what Doctor Who The Companion Chronicles oh. The Flames of Cadiz. Oh, lovely. Of yeah. William Russell and Carol Ann Ford. The originals, you might say. How fantastic. Let's listen to the trailer. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. Doctor Who, The Companion Chronicles, The Flames of Cadiz. I was surprised by the number of monks on the road. Mendicant friars begging for alms. But I'll warrant most have more coins in their pockets than any Hidalgo noble. They come! The English 
Shot here! It was chaos. Everyone running in a wild panic. I scrambled up into Grandfather's arms. Behind me, all of you! They shall not take you! We piled into the wagon with the TARDIS as he took the reins. He urged the horses forward, chasing the crowd down towards the harbour. Roll up! Roll up! Lorenzo was already drumming up an audience. For us and for our comedy, we beg your hearing patiently. There were acrobats and dancers, and then Pablo appeared, juggling knives and grinning at me. The doctor! Help the doctor! But I couldn't go yet. Ian! My friend Esteban was burning. Ian! I couldn't leave him. Hurry! Please! Father Richard saw what he wanted. I was finished. Ian Chesterton, you are charged with heresy. You will be put to death and your soul consigned to eternal damnation. Subscribers get more at bigfinish.com. Oh, beautiful bit of work, this. Yeah, great stuff. Ooh, it's got four episodes as well, yeah, in the good old style with, with, with individual titles. Uh, uh, Carol Ann Ford and William Russell are two people who, you know, really sort of, I think in the 80s maybe, and then the 90s, I, I was lucky enough to spend time with them both filming Mythmakers and, um, you know, sort of checked in with them over the years. Uh, as last saw Carol when we were doing Susan's War. And uh, it's always nice to have a chat. And William Russell, I remember I spent a fantastic day with him on a London bus filming our interview. That was really good. A day with so, Sir Lancelot. Uh, yeah. Well, it's sad we didn't. We our swords weren't drawn. Um, but it's um, yeah. Have it's well worth getting this. Benji will now explain to you how you get your discount uh, while I email Jackie at Big Finish to make sure she puts the offer live. Okay, off you go, Benji. So it's really easy. Go to bigfinish.com and on the menu at the top, go across to podcasts and the podcast section there. Uh, there should be the latest podcast in question. It'll say read more. Once you've read more underneath the picture of us in the blurb, it'll say just click here and enter the code buck up. That's B-U-C-K-U-P, no spaces, uh, no capital letters, and all capital letters, no spaces, no punctuation, no numbers. Um, no pigeons, no boxes of sort of, you know, uh, crockery. Uh, enter that in and you will get your discount. Simple as that. It's well worth doing. Good way to uh, fill a few gaps in the collections. So easy to, to suddenly think, oh, I forgot all about that release. I better I better get that one whilst I can. Nice. So get your discount and enjoy. Good. Good. Well, I've sent the email. Magic, well, perfect stuff. Uh, well, thank you so much to Ran, we should say, Random Words Electrotron. Uh, nice choice there. So, next week's podcast is entitled Nine Daleks and Yeti. That means there'll be nine Daleks and a Yeti somewhere, <laughs> um, which means that we'll be going behind the scenes with the latest Doctor Who Early Adventure series and teasing you with After the Daleks. As well as that, we'll be giving you a 15-minute drama tease oh. of the brand new Ninth Doctor adventure, Girl Deconstructed. Written by Lisa McMullen and starring, of course, Christopher Eccleston as... 
the Doctor. Oh, well, thanks for that taster for next week's podcastry, Benji. In the meantime, it's time for us to say it's been brilliant being here this week, but time for us to move on. See you next time and do have a really great week. Take care now. It's been brilliant brilliant being being here here this week, week, but time time for us to move on. on. See you you next time and and do have a really great great week. Take Take care care now. now. It's just amusing me doing that. It's not amusing anyone else, but it's... uh, Never mind. (laughs) It's not the point. Time now for Doctor Who Scourge of the Cybermen by Simon Gurrier and performed by the ever-brilliant and lovely John Colshaw. Doctor Who, the audio novels, Scourge of the Cybermen by Simon Gurrier. Read by John Coleshaw, with Nicholas Briggs as the Cybermen. The lights flickered. One, then another slender neon tube winked and twitched. Yet in the bustling control room, the scientists paid no heed to the lights. The men and women busy working all wore the same uniform, navy blue dungarees and pale blue t-shirts. At rows of desks, they picked over data on flat oval-shaped screens. Some discussed details in urgent whispers. Others ticked off tasks on clipboards, but they did not look up. As the scientists buzzed around her, Sarah Jane Smith was the only one to stare up at the flickering lights her expression stern. She was a bright-eyed woman in her early twenties, her dark hair cut short in a sensible bob. Just like the scientists, she wore blue dungarees and t-shirt, plus a badge marked Visitor. As she studied the ceiling, she checked her slender wristwatch and then smiled with satisfaction. There you are, I told you, she said. Beside her, a tall man with a mane of white hair sprawled languorously back in his seat, scrolling through an oval screen of data. Unlike Sarah, he had retained his usual clothes, though there was little that was usual about his black cape lined with lilac, red smoking jacket and ruffled shirt. The doctor had at least consented to wear a visitor badge too. Wearily, he deigned to look up from his screen. I do need to read this, he told Sarah. See? More than twenty flickers per minute, said Sarah. The doctor sighed. My dear girl, you're still not going on about the lights. It could be important, honestly, doctor. I had lights on the blink like this in my kitchen back home. Turned out to be a leak from the bathroom upstairs. The plumber said that if I'd had it seen to the first time I noticed the problem, it wouldn't have been nearly so expensive to fix. And here we've got more than a bathroom on top of us, haven't we? The doctor crossed his fingers under his chin as he brooded. Or perhaps he was just making sure that she had finished rabbiting on. You're suggesting that the whole ocean is about to come crashing in on us? Well, it's a thought, isn't it? I mean, it might only be a little leak now, but it could soon get serious. What with us being right at the bottom of the ocean? In a sea base built precisely for that purpose? He chided her. With constant monitoring of structural integrity? Besides... We're not directly under the sea, but are several floors above us. Unless you're telling me they've all flooded too. 
She pouted. All right. It's annoying, though, isn't it? How can you even concentrate? Yes. Not easy with distractions. He smiled, returning to his screen of data. Then she had lost him again. Sarah swiveled on her chair, a bit left, a bit right, then a complete revolution. The doctor ignored her, studiously reading. He brushed the screen with his finger and brought up yet more columns of numbers. Sarah sighed. He ignored that too. I might go out and get something to eat, she said. Do you want anything? Of course, he said, but not to her. He tapped a line of figures on the screen, a wide grin on his face. Then he was on his feet and herring across the room. Director, director, I found the error in the calculation. Hope Mirza was a wiry, athletic woman, her hair tightly braided. Scientists huddled round her, all vying for attention. She raised a hand and they obediently parted to let the doctor through and closed again around him, keen to hear what they got wrong. Anywhere else, thought Sarah, and they'd resent some interloper sauntering in and telling them how to do their jobs. Yet the doctor had charmed them with his good-natured but forensic eye for detail. They were so thrilled to be shown their mistakes that they practically applauded. The director cut through their excitement sternly. All right, this does look promising, said Hope Mirza. I want a full analysis before we put it through the system. The scientists, cowed, hurried back to their desks. The doctor remained with the director. This is good, Hope told him, and the doctor smiled graciously. If I'm right, he said, you can get particles of oil in the water to adhere together, so they're easier to process, which means more energy capture for you. The ocean is cleaned up more quickly. Hope nodded. Let's get on with it, then. We have a long night ahead of us. Of course, Director, said the Doctor, with a curt bow, and made his way back to his desk. He gathered his cloak around him and plumped down beside Sarah. You know, humanity did something like this to clean up debris in Earth orbit. All that litter from your first years in space, he said, rubbing the back of his neck. I'm sure we'll crack this whole thing soon enough. Sarah scowled. Doctor, you said that three days ago. The doctor was deadly earnest. Sarah, it's essential to do this right. A whole alien sea to clean up. In doing so, we produce a vast amount of entirely clean energy. If they can make that work here, it's a template for operations all across the galaxy. We must see the potential. She sighed. Fine, whatever you have to do. You know, I really think you might be onto something with those lights, he mused. Sarah eyed him suspiciously. Someone, continued the doctor, really ought to investigate. Investigative acumen. Yes, that's what it needs. In other words, said Sarah, buzz off and leave you to get on with your work. The doctor grinned rakishly at her. The investigation's directorate building was a gigantic sphere positioned in the centre of an open space twice the size of Trafalgar Square. The concourse tapered in an almond shape, 
with the spherical building just off its center. It looked like a gigantic stylized eye. Like eyelashes, passages led off to other parts of the sea base. The whole structure sat beneath a high, vaulted ceiling, painted pastel pink with wisps of cloud in violet, an impression of some alien sky. There were also regular portholes and a huge bay window, looking out on dark ocean depths. Yet the people thronging the concourse barely noticed the deep. They were busy, chatting at one of the various boutique shops or cafes, or supervising children at the swings. Though science was the principal aim of the sea base, the boffins and their families needed feeding and time off to unwind. The result was a rich and busy community, a whole ecosystem of supporting occupations. Everyone had their role. Everyone that was, except Sarah. She mooched around. Denzel, the kind old man who ran the coffee bar she liked best, was busy with other customers. A group of harassed young parents had taken Sarah's favorite bench. The parents herded their toddlers out of the way of an approaching forklift truck. In the cab sat a grinning teen. Caught you. Bunking off? Sarah laughed. It's not bunking off when they have nothing for me to do. Hello, Mercy. Mercy Mirza was the 13-year-old daughter of the head of the investigations directorate. Just like Hope, Mercy was a force to be reckoned with. Instead of the green dungarees worn by children and pensioners, she wore the orange of Technical Corps. She had permission to drive the forklift truck and help with repairs so long as she kept up with her schoolwork. At least, that was the deal her mum tried to hold her to, largely in vain. So what are you doing with the rest of your day? asked Mercy, though it was clear she already had a suggestion. I've gone on to a neat new level if you want to see. Sarah was confused for a moment. This is your computer game? Mercy rolled her eyes. Screens, not computers. Seriously, what games aren't on screens? The girl had a way of making Sarah feel a thousand years old. Anyway, Sarah had things to be doing. I was going to investigate this business of the lights, she said. You don't have to come. Mercy laughed again. No fear. You know there's a threshold of tolerance, right? It's all checked and verified. There are protocols. I don't get why people have this thing for the lights. Sarah nodded patiently. I said you don't have to come. And then she realized what Mercy had just said. Who else has a thing for the lights? The officers of sea-based security wore black dungarees and gray t-shirts. Their office looked down the concourse and the sphere of the investigations directorate. From such a vantage, People looked no larger than ants. Their movements were carefully monitored. Miss Smith, said the young officer on duty, without looking up from the oval screen on his desk. Hi, said Sarah. I mean, good afternoon. I'm afraid I don't have an appointment, but I wondered if someone could help me. Now, the officer looked up to regard her coolly. 
He was strikingly handsome, a scar down one prominent cheekbone. His T-shirt exposed a toned and muscular neck. You want to report a miss in person, he said. Sarah blanched. How do you know? The man smiled thinly. Technical corps called to tell us you were on your way. You're looking for a second-level functionary. Smaino Craby. No one's seen him for a while, said Sarah. They don't even know if he came back at the end of his shift. He was looking into an issue with the lights. The man cut her off. Technical corps don't share your concern for his welfare. In fact, they had told Sarah that Craby valued his personal space and that they should respect his privacy. I know, Sarah told the man at the desk. I just thought maybe you could check he was all right. The man tapped some instructions into his screen. He studied the response. Smaino Kraby was last recorded in the lower levels carrying out routine inspection. He should have finished hours ago, said Sarah. There, said the man. I've sent him a message. Sarah gaped at him. You're not sending anyone down there? He looked surprised and asked what was so urgent. Sarah shifted uneasily, muttering something about light fittings. The man snorted and returned his attention to his screen. Um, said Sarah after a while. Is there anyone else I could talk to? I'm Akira B, he said. When Sarah didn't respond, he looked up at her, annoyed. I'm head of security, and I have more to worry about than a man slightly late back from his shift. Of course you do, said Sarah. Sorry, but maybe you could authorise me to go down there and look for him. Akira B was angry now. You're a visitor, Miss Smith. She wouldn't be intimidated. So, you know who I am. Big deal. As a matter of fact, I don't. You and this doctor have either been forthcoming about exactly who you are. So let me make it plain. You do not have clearance for the lower levels, nor do you have a protective suit, and you have no good reason to go down there. Now, if I might get on. He didn't look up again. Sarah studied him for a moment. All right, fine, she said firmly, and marched out. You're sure this is what he said? Asked Ned, the sweet old man in orange dungarees on duty behind the high desk. They were in a room filled with tall lockers and the tang of sweat. Affixed to the ceiling, the unblinking eye of a camera held Sarah in its gaze. She beamed innocently at Ned. Akira B told me I'd need a protective suit and clearance to go down to the low levels. Ask him if you like. Ned reached for the trim phone at the end of his desk. Sarah continued to smile, aware of the camera still on her, but sure she could brazen this out. She did her best to convey nonchalance. Although, she said, he is quite busy at the moment. I'm just doing what he said. Hmm, said the old man, and ducked into an alcove, leaving Sarah alone. The camera continued to watch her, she affected not to notice, but was jittery inside. The old man returned, lugging a thick bundle of leathery material. 
With effort, he heaved this onto the desk and started to arrange it into the shape of a person. The protective suit, complete with helmet and visor, looked as though it had been through a few wars. You know how it goes, the man asked Sarah gruffly. How hard can it be? She grinned. The old man sighed. She'd never worn a pressurised suit before. Subscribe and review. Rate to forget don't. Production finish <laughs> big. A tour listening being you've. You've been listening to a big finished production. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. Oh, rearrange those words.